You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. We are recording this episode on Thursday the 1st of February and today we're going to chat about why Sweden is tightening rules on citizenship by notification and we'll talk about what that term actually means. We'll talk about the state visit by French President Emmanuel Macron and a couple of related stories that had Swedes cringing en masse. We'll discuss the migration agency's new system for handling work permits which launched this week and finally we'll hear from an expert on Sami issues about Sweden's troubled relationship with its indigenous minority. I'm Paul O'Mahony in Stockholm and I'm joined today from Malmö by our regular panelists Emma Lovegrain and Becky Waterton. How are you both? Um, I'm pretty good. I came off the overnight ferry from uh, Rostock to Trelleborg very early yesterday morning so I'm still recovering a little bit. How about you, Becky? Yeah, I'm good. Emma just suggested getting some law after the podcast, so even better now that she's made that suggestion. So we had a couple of stories this week on The Local about how Sweden is tightening the rules around citizenship by notification. And I have to confess, I hadn't heard this term before. Can you tell us, Becky, what citizenship by notification means? Well, before our listeners get too excited about this, it's not a new policy or anything. It's existed for a while. And it's only really relevant for people who've moved to Sweden as children or Nordic citizens. Essentially, children who've lived in Sweden for at least three years or two if they're stateless, and young adults between 18 and 21 who've lived in Sweden since they turned 13 or since 15 if they're stateless, are eligible for citizenship via notification. So that's anmelan in Swedish, uh, as well as Nordic citizens. So that's citizens of Denmark, Norway, Iceland and Finland. The requirements aren't as strict as for the usual kind of citizenship, which is citizenship by application or ansökan. For example, there's no requirement to have lived an orderly life, you know, things like not having any debts with the kronofogden, the, the kind of crown bailiffs, I guess you'd call them. Although people who've been sentenced to prison or other incarceration within the last five years don't qualify. The fee for this less known kind of citizenship, citizenship by notification, is also cheaper. It's just 475 krona for adults or 175 krona for children. To compare that to the usual route, that costs 1,500 krona for adults. And also the waiting times are a lot quicker for citizenship via notification. So you can get it after just 11 months or even six weeks if you're an Nordic citizen, compared to 32 months for citizenship by application. Okay, and what are the new rules that you wrote about this week? So these new rules are to tighten up citizenship by notification requirements, so they won't affect the majority of our readers at least who apply for citizenship. And these rules essentially mean that people aged 15 or above who are suspected or convicted of committing a crime, which carries a punishment of four years or more in prison, 
as well as people deemed a threat to Swedish security and people connected to groups or organisations whose activities include systematic, widespread and serious offences against other people would no longer be able to get citizenship via notification or regain a previously held citizenship. So these rules are slightly different from the current rules for citizenship via application, which doesn't ban you outright from qualifying for citizenship if you've committed a crime, but it does give you a kind of quarantine period after being sentenced when you can't apply. And the length of that period varies depending on the severity of the crime. But people who can't get citizenship via notification would still be able to get it via application if they qualify under those rules instead. And these rules are like being planned still, aren't they? It's yeah. not something that's coming into effect like right now. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's the first stage of the of the legislative process. They've said that they want to do this, then they'll move further. But it's not actually coming yet. And it might not come in. They're just talking about that they want to do it. Okay. Uh, staying with citizenship, we also had a question from an American listener that I saw Richard had written up an article about on the site. So the listener has a Swedish grandfather and wondered if there was any prospect of Sweden making it easier for people with Swedish ancestry to get citizenship. What's the situation there, Emma? I mean, the rules are essentially that if if a child is born abroad to a Swedish mother, then they automatically become a Swedish citizen. If they only have a Swedish father, and they were born after the 1st of April 2015, they also automatically became Swedish. But if they were born before that date, they automatically became Swedish if the father was married to the mother. And maybe if he wasn't, based on a set of various criteria. But uh, what this reader is more asking about is like, like whether people with Swedish ancestors, like a grandparent or a great grandparent who moved from like, you know, Smallland to Minnesota 100 years ago can get citizenship, which is possible in some countries like Italy, for example. And well, the short answer is that no, it's not possible and it's unlikely that it's going to be made any easier anytime soon. It's not really a question that's debated much at all in Sweden, to be honest. So I'm sorry to make some listeners disappointed. Okay, um, thanks both. And we'll post a link to those related citizenship stories in the notes. On to the news now, and on Tuesday, the French President Emmanuel Macron and his wife Brigitte Macron arrived in Sweden for a two-day state visit. Um, We'll chat in a minute about the lighter talking points, but can we start with the serious business, Emma? How did the visit go and what did it achieve from a Swedish perspective? So Macron got to visit some of Sweden's big tech centres, like, for example, the European Spallation Source in Lund, which is this big atomic research centre, and Alpha Laval which is one of Sweden's major energy technology companies. So Sweden got a chance to show off some of the high-tech achievements that it's really proud of and is a field that it wants to be a leader in. And in more practical terms, Sweden and France also used this occasion to sign agreements to increase cooperation, for example, like nuclear, space, defence, forestry sectors. And the current Swedish government, as we've talked about before, they they want to increase nuclear energy research and production. And France is a major producer and exporter of nuclear energy. So that's important to Sweden. And as James mentioned last week, just having the French president here and building a relationship and, and being seen to be building a relationship, it's important to Sweden in terms of its role in, in the EU and NATO in the world. And it seems to have largely done what it set out to do. It's come across as a successful visit. They had a series of 
high-level meetings. They went to look at important things to Sweden. They signed agreements. And Macron is also pretty good at all of that diplomatic stuff and making countries and other foreign leaders feel special. So I think Sweden's pretty happy with the visit. Yeah, it, it didn't really start that way. Earlier in the week, Ulf Christensen posted a video to social media in anticipation of the Macron's arrival. And what did Christensen say, Emma, and why did the video set so many tongues wagging? <laughs> I mean, so picture Macron posting a video in which he's like, oh, in, in France, we eat baguettes and berets. And it was basically like that. Like, in Sweden, we have this thing called fika, which, first of all, is not as unique as we like to think, is not as common in Sweden as we like to think, and it's already far too well known around the world because of the massive fika hype in international lifestyle magazines. So it's been just been talked about too much. He was talking about those sort of big stereotypes. We don't like conflict, and we don't jump the queue in Sweden, which is almost a bit rude to say. Like, yeah, Mr. President, don't you come here with your French habits and jump the queue, because we don't do that in Sweden. I love the the response of Anne-Francoise Yvert. I think we've had her on the podcast before from the Scandinavian correspondent from Le Monde. What did she say? She tweeted saying, vive le cliché. Oh yeah, vive le cliché. Yeah, it was exactly like that. Although Macron was very polite about it. He commented on the Instagram post saying that, you know, I'll dress up warmly for the visit and uh, I look forward to having a fika with you. Another thing that people reacted to were reports that Emmanuel and Brigitte Macron, president and first lady of what many consider the home of fine dining, were going to be served pitipana when they visited Lund University. Becky, what is pitipana and why did this menu choice raise eyebrows? Well, first off, I'm very glad to know that I'm now the locals resident pitipana expert. Um, <laughs> it's essentially bits of some kind of protein, usually pork, potatoes and onions chopped into small cubes and fried until crispy. It's topped with a fried egg and pickled beetroot and like maybe some ketchup. Despite originally consisting of leftovers, I'd say most people nowadays would make it from fresh ingredients or like just buy a bag from the supermarket to fry up for a quick dinner. And opinion is divided as to whether the name means put in pan or small pieces in a pan. Uh, it's similar to a hash, which weirdly enough actually gets its name from a French word hashé, which means to chop up. Uh, which is like a dish made with corned beef, popular in the UK and France during the Second World War when fresh meat was scarce. So, you know, mm. you can kind of get why it's raised eyebrows. It's kind of Hussmann's cost, you know, home cooking. It's the kind of food served in Swedish schools as children love it. It's not the kind of fine dining you'd expect to be served to a president, and especially not a French one. But arguably, the weirdest thing about the menu choice is that it was served with Bernays sauce. So, like, Swedes love Bernays. It's like... It may sound like a French sauce, but it is extremely Swedish as well. It's affectionately known as beya. It's found in every Swedish supermarket in about 20 different variations. It's been a crisp flavor. You'll find it on top of pizza as well as chips, like on the pizza. Offending the Italians at the same time as the French. Exactly. Um, but it's not something you'd eat with pitti panna. You may be thinking this was like some nod to, to Macron's homeland which, you know, Bernays is French, or an attempt to put kind of a gourmet spin on standard Swedish home cooking. But weirdly enough, you can actually blame Denmark for this. So Macron wasn't just visiting Lund. He was more specifically visiting a student afton, 
which are kind of guest lectures hosted by students at Lund. It's somewhat of a tradition for Lund to host visiting politicians, literary and cultural profiles at these student evenings, which have been taking place for over 100 years. So, of course, Macron had to pay a visit too. And Lund is the kind of old university which likes these weird traditions. It's kind of like Oxbridge in the UK or, I guess, Ivy League in the US. And these student Afnar are no exception. So the story goes that when Queen Margrethe of Denmark visited Lund in 2005, she requested Puttipanna, which is known as Bixamel in Denmark, with Bernays sauce. And since then, every guest has been fed the same thing ever since. Unfortunately, Emma broke the news to me this morning that Macron did apparently not receive a plate of Puttipanna. No, he ate like Gravlax or something instead. I wonder if that was him. Compla- I wonder if he complained about it or if like, <laughs> maybe, maybe get was, a special menu. Maybe it was the Swedish king that didn't want to eat it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> the French ambassador did tweet a picture of him. Um, he, he was served it and he tweeted a picture of it and he looked very happy. So it's a slightly disappointing story in the end because Macron wasn't actually served it. But it remains to be seen whether he uh, refused to eat it or whether there was some other reason behind it. But both of these stories, the, the video that Christesson posted and the idea that Macron was going to be served Pitipana, I mean, Swedes on social media were kind of up in arms about it, weren't they? They were just they just thought it was so embarrassing. By the purest of coincidences, we had Hemskudde as mm-hmm. a word of the day this week. Becky, what is a Hemskudde and when might you need it? Well, it literally translates as an embarrassment pillow, but I personally prefer the term cringe cushion. <laughs> it's essentially a literal or metaphorical pillow, depending on how you're feeling that day, which you can hide behind when you're experiencing secondhand embarrassment. So it's often used in the context of someone watching something cringy on TV and, you know, presumably grabbing one of the sofa cushions to hide behind. I learned it this week because there was quite a few people commenting on Lord Christmas video saying, Dags are tough on whims, could then, or like, time to get out the cringe cushion after he posted his cliche filled video on Instagram. I just want to mention that The Local is soon going to introduce a new membership option that will include early access to an ad-free version of the podcast, as well as an extra midweek episode featuring more interviews and analysis. We're going to have a special offer for listeners to coincide with the launch, and we'll give you more information on that very soon. If you have any thoughts or suggestions for the podcast, you can always drop us a line at sweedeninfocus at thelocal.com. Let's move on to work permits now. And we've talked before about the migration agency's plans to phase out the certified process brought in more than a decade ago to cut waiting times for big companies hiring skilled workers from abroad, but which the government said was It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
no longer fit for purpose. The new processing model came into force this week. Uh, What are the most important things to know about it, Emma? So the idea is to prioritise work permits for highly skilled talent and to cut processing times for them. So it means that the agency now has this new way of sorting applications for permits, filtering by occupation and industry and um, sorting out applications which are, are ready for a decision. And it will do this by dividing work permit applications into four categories, ranged from A to D, of which the first category A will be handled by a new team of international recruitment units with a new maximum processing time of just 30 days. Category A applications will be those already classified as highly qualified under what's called the Standard for Swedish Classification of Occupations, or SSYK, and will include, for example, leadership roles or roles requiring higher university education or or the equivalent. And in addition to this, the agency will offer a new service to employers who are handling these highly qualified workers and will give them help via phone, email and potentially also in-person meetings, as well as extra support to major projects with large recruitment needs like like battery companies and new steel plants in Norland, which often require labour from third countries. But what, what listeners might want to know also is that the requirements for getting a work permit they haven't actually changed. So this is more something that's meant to help speed things up behind the scene. Okay, thanks, Emma. And we'll add links in the episode notes to our articles on this. It's Sami National Day on the 6th of February, and we're going to hear in a minute from an expert on Sami issues. But first, Becky, can you give us some background on this? What is Sami National Day and how is it celebrated? As you may be able to guess from the name, it is a national day for the Sami people who are the indigenous people of Sápmi, which uh, is a region spreading across northern parts of Norway, Sweden, Finland, and parts of the Kola Peninsula in Russia, which is like the most northwestern part of Russia, kind of next to Finland. The Sámi people had their very first international congress in Trondheim in Norway on February 6th, 1917, which is why Sámi National Day is celebrated on February the 6th every year. It's been a national celebration since 1993. It's celebrated slightly differently in each country, but in Norway and Sweden at least it's a flag day, which means that you'll fly the Norwegian flag or the Swedish flag alongside the Sami flag, which is quite a cool flag actually. And in Oslo, the bells of the city hall play the Sami national anthem as the flag is raised. Generally, it's celebrated by Sami people by wearing national dress, which is called a gakti, I think, in northern Sami, or a kolt in Swedish. Attending cultural events, singing the Sami national anthem, which is kind of about the beauty of Samelandet and the strength of the Sami people against their enemies, which is pretty standard stuff for a national anthem, really. Uh, and then some people also celebrate by yoiking, which is a traditional Sami form of song. But it's basically a day for Sami people, both in the Sami regions and also elsewhere to celebrate their heritage and yeah, celebrate their Sami identity. I chatted recently with Charlotte Svonni, who conducts research at Umeå University on Indigenous education. We'll listen to some of the conversation now. And one of the things I asked her was whether she thought Sweden did a good job of educating people about the Sami in its schools. No, not at all. I would like more education about the Sami in all the schools in Sweden. What do we want for the society in the future? If the states want a diminished discrimination, more knowledge about the Sami, then they will put it in the education for all Swedes, everyone living in Sweden. What are the most 
common misconceptions people have in Sweden about the Sami? I think, well, one is, of course, that the Sami, all Sami have reindeers. I mean, that is the biggest one. And other than that, some people say that, oh, the Sami is always complaining. No, the Sami wants to have a voice in the society. I mean, we all should have a say in different issues in a democracy. And are there any areas of conflict today between the Swedish state and the Sami? And and what are they? Well, yes, there are. Uh, And I think that is mostly mostly about the extractivism on Sami land. One thing, I mean, you can just take all the mines. I mean, you have this big state company, Elkabe, that is situated in Kiruna. And uh, I mean, there are always problems with that. And there are new, and you have this uh, issue with Renbecken in Tarnaby, that is still an issue if they are allowed to mine there or not, but also about the windmill parks, about the forestry. I mean, these are all state companies. Mm. So, uh, and they don't regard the Sami village, the reindeer husbandry people's voice in this. This is something that the United Nations talks about sometimes, isn't it? That that Sweden needs to involve Sami people more in these consultation processes. Yes, exactly. They really criticize Sweden about how they're handling these issues, not letting Sami people have a voice in these issues. Do you see any signs that this is moving in the right direction, that, that Sweden is taking Sami views more seriously? Yeah, I think it happens little by little, but it's always on the state terms. Are you optimistic about the future of um, Swedish-Sami relations? Yeah, I need to be optimistic about it. I think I see some steps that is going in the right direction. And that is also due to the global indigenous issues that... That is, it's moving forward and therefore it com- it's com- becomes a pressure on Sweden. So I think it will, it will be, become better in the future. That was Charlotte Svonny and we'll have an article featuring more from this interview to coincide with Sami National Day. So do keep an eye on the site for that. Emma, would you go along with her assessment that people in Sweden generally don't learn enough about Sami? I mean, yes, definitely. Uh, I grew up in southern Sweden, so not in a in a Sami area, and nearly everything I've learned about the Sami, I've learned as an adult. In southern Sweden, there's a lot of the kind of exotifying kind of racism, like oh, they they wear funny hats and yoik, and and I was surprised to learn that in Sami areas in northern Sweden, there's also a lot of stereotypes that are, are are really really nasty and affect people in their daily lives, like like reindeer owners having their reindeer attacked or or just random slurs. But I think it's also important to talk about how you know, for better or worse, like Sami history and and Sami present, they're part of Sweden's history and present. Uh, my great-grandfather helped build the um, hydro plant in Porius in northern Sweden back in the early 20th century. And uh, hydropower is something that's brought lots of job opportunities to northern Sweden, has helped, you know, green energy and been a massive like engineering feat. And it's also completely ruined the rivers and damaged Sami reindeer herding. And my great-grandfather also married a Sami woman. <laughs> so there's always been these trade and friendships and marriages at the same time as there's been oppression and colonialism and racism. And I think, as Falota said, that 
the way that Sweden has oppressed this army is being talked about more and and hopefully in schools as well. But I feel like we're still kind of treating Sweden and Sami sort of as two completely separate worlds when when actually they're also very, very interlinked. Yeah, I do know actually that my own um, children who are 11 and 9, they uh, do learn about Sami in school because they've come home and, and talked about it a little bit and they've been really interested in this. So maybe things are moving forward a bit in that regard. When I was talking to Charlotte, we talked about the nomad schools attended by Sami children in the early and middle part of the last century. And she recommended the 2016 film Sama Blood or Sami Blood by the director Amanda Clenell. Becky, have you seen it? And can you tell us a bit about what it's about? I have seen it, but it was a long time ago. So essentially, it follows the story of a young Sami girl who's placed into one of these nomad schools for Sami children, which is essentially like a boarding school for Sami children where they were taught to speak and act Swedish. And in the one in the film, at least, they were beaten for speaking Sami to each other. I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but essentially this prejudice and racism that she experiences for being Sami leads her to run away from the town and the school, change her name to a more Swedish sounding name and kind of hide her Sami identity as she tries to make a new life for herself as a Swede rather than a a Sami person. I would say it's a really good film, particularly for people who maybe don't know that much about the Sami people and how they were treated by the broader Swedish population throughout much of their history. But it is also a very sad film. And I mean, not that immigrants face the same issues as Sami people have throughout history. You know, we're not sent to boarding schools and banned from speaking our own languages. But I think also from the immigrant perspective, this film says a lot about living in a country where you're part of the minority culture too. Do you try to hide your identity and assimilate so you're accepted into society? You know, change your name maybe if you're finding it hard to find a job with your current name. Or do you celebrate your culture and identity and refuse to adapt? Both of those reactions are presented in the film without making a comment on whether that's a right or wrong choice there. And I think I'd really recommend it, especially for immigrants, actually. How about you, Emma? Have you seen it? And and what did you think? I've seen it, yeah. And I also thought it was really good. The young woman that it follows in the film, you also meet her when she's old and she's quite ashamed of her Sami heritage and doesn't want to acknowledge that she is Sami. And that's something that I certainly recognise from my grandmother, who was half Sami. She didn't want to talk about it either. And there's more and more Swedes and also people abroad who are like more and more aware of how the Sami were treated. But I kind of feel like there's also a lot of super superficial knowledge about it. And I feel like superficial knowledge about colonialism or racism kind of almost helps perpetuate it in a way because it kind of solidifies these roles of victim and perpetrator and i think that if you are interested in this it's really really good to get more information or even if you're not interested in it it's good to get more information about what actually happened and how just how bad the oppression was and the generational trauma that it's that it's caused so i mean i really recommend watching this film and I'd also recommend things like the Jokmok uh, Winter Market, for example, in northern Sweden. It's happening this weekend, and that's a Sami market that's been, you know, going on for like hundreds and hundreds of years. And that's a good place to go if you want to learn more about kind of modern Sami life as well, which is just as important as the history. I mean, there's even things like Sami bodies and Sami remains of Sami people were collected for like study in museums and studies at universities and things like that, and that's. That's not kind of ancient history in Sweden. There are still, it still comes up, there's still issues with like Sami people fighting to get these remains back to their their communities. Yeah, so, so you're referring to this time back around the 1930s when sort of Sami people were 
put on display as part of the research in inverted commas being carried out by the Racial Biology Institute. Yeah, I mean, Sweden's Racial Biology Institute, you see this in the film as well. They come to the school where where the girl in the film is, is being taught and they strip everyone naked. They measure them, you know, measure their skulls. You know, they look at all of this stuff about like, oh, how wide is your nose compared to whatever, whatever. It's all this eugenics kind of stuff, like Ross Biologiska Institute at the Racial Biology Institute. And I mean, that's that's not like ancient history. There's still almost this hangover of Sami being seen as people, you know, almost not people, like, like I don't know, like looked at or like examined in the way that you'd examine animals, things like that. So mm. I think there's, there's still a hangover from that. It's not ancient history. Like the way that Sweden treated the Sami people, they, that, that, that kind of mistreatment is still ongoing in some cases. Yeah. And a lot of the points you you raised there have to crop up in the film. I also saw it a few years ago. It won loads of prizes at the time. Uh, it's really good. Recommend anybody to go see it. Let's leave it there for this week. Thanks as always for tuning in and please leave a rating or review if you can. We always really appreciate it. Our panelists this week were Becky Waterton and Emma Lovegreen. Our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again next week. Sweden in Focus is a podcast from the local Europe. The publisher is James Savage. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.